The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome to our Veterans Day special from the beautiful town of Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. I am Ann Beal, and I am joined today by Jeff Meek, veteran historian, writer, and author of the book, They Answered the Call. We are also joined by Dr. Jim Slaughter, who is a veteran himself and life coach and counselor at our wellness clinic in the Fort Worth area, Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Ann. Great being here. Thank you. Jeff, thanks for so much for having us in your home today. It is beautiful right here by the lake. Yeah. And all the trees are orange and red. Now, see, we're in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and there just aren't trees like this. <laughs> and so it's beautiful. Now, Jeff, tell us a little more about yourself. Well, I first got interested in all this veteran-related thing when our son, uh, Jeffrey, joined the United States Marine Corps in 1996. And that prompted my wife, Jean, and I to want to learn more about what our fathers did in World War II. So... Over the next couple of years, we uh, tried to get their papers and medals and so on and so forth. And I came across a book by uh, uh, Stephen Ambrose called Citizen Soldiers, and it covered the exact time and place where Gene's father served. He was, he was in Bradley's uh, headquarters company, General Bradley's headquarters company. So I bought her that book for her to read, and... A month later, it was still sitting there, so I thought, well, I'll read it. And I, it's, and I don't really know how to say it, but it just, it just grabbed me. I couldn't believe what some of these guys had gone through. So that led to reading another book and another book, and, and then um, meeting World War II veterans, um, just saying thank you for your service wasn't enough for me, so I thought, what's another way I can say thank you? And I thought, well, maybe I could record their oral history. And that's something that their family would have forever. So I started doing that when we were still living in Illinois. And um, I did nine of those in the last four years that we lived in Illinois. Then we moved down here in 2005, and I got uh, connected with the Daughters of the American Revolution and the Veterans History Project and started doing oral histories down here in January of 2007, and as of this month, I've now completed 301 um, oral histories, and almost every one of those is um, a veteran who lives here in the village. And you take those oral histories and you put them, you send them to the Library of Congress, right? Yes. um, Shortly after uh, 
starting to do the recordings, I contacted the local newspaper to see if they might be interested in a story about these gentlemen, and they were, and so I started writing a column of veteran stories for the paper in January of 2007 in the Hot Springs Village Voice newspaper. And as I said, we record these onto a DVD, and um, I write the story from that, and I keep a copy, and they get a copy at no charge. And we also send a copy to the Veterans History Project, which is located at the Library of Congress in D.C., where they're preserved. So um, everybody who participates um, gets their story preserved in, in Washington. So how did you know to do that? How did you know to send it to the Library of Congress, or did they contact you? Um, as I, I think I mentioned that I got affiliated with the Daughters of the American Revolution, the DAR, and it was the DAR who was looking to uh, officially connect with the Veterans History Project. And to do that, 25 interviews a year needed to be done. Well, as I said, I did nine in four years. And when my wife volunteered me to do 25 in a year, I almost <laughs> choked. Um, but, you know, I thought, well, you know, this is an interest of yours. Let's, let's give it a shot and see what happens. And, and so it was through the DAR um, that I learned of and started participating with the uh, Veterans History Project. Now, 25 is a lot in a year, but how many do you do now? Do you do 25 in a year or do you do more? I do a minimum of 25 a year. I've done as many as 38 in a year. And as I said, a total of 301 so far since January of 2007. Now, I know you're trying to record all the World War II veterans, as many as you can, mm-hmm. because they are the oldest right now. Mm-hmm. How long will it take you to get them all done? <laughs> well, I don't think um, I focused on that for a number of years, and that's all I did. And then those numbers, as you would imagine, started to decline and then I got more and more involved with um, Korean War veterans and Vietnam War veterans. And these it's my experience that the veterans are so humble. They're reluctant to tell their story, whether it's hair-raising or mundane, if there is such a thing. They don't want to feel like they're bragging. Uh, and, and they're just hesitant to, you know, to do this and to have a story about them in their local paper and so on. So there are some World War II veterans out there uh, that I have not interviewed, um, and I have a few on my list, but as you might imagine, you know, their health is not the best, right. and sometimes that falls through. Um, I would say that now I'm only probably doing three or four um, World War II veteran interviews a year, and the rest of Korea Vietnam, in, interwar years, and so on. So there are some, some more out there. Um, and there's probably some that I, I'm unaware of, too. Well, we just thank you so much for being here. I know that you're, this is your second visit on Living Well. Mm-hmm. We had you on in early May for Memorial Day, earlier this year. Yes. And if anyone would like to listen to that show, you can go back to our website, livewellshow.com. And you can go to the May shows and you'll find Jeff Meek's show on there. And it was so good. And you can learn a lot more Jeff about Jeff Meek. And you can hear some stories, some other stories that he shared. Um, if you don't have, um, if you have iTunes, you can go on iTunes and just search on Living Well with Ann Beal. Or if you downloaded the Voice America app to your cell phone, your smartphone, you can go to the Empowerment Channel to the Living Well show. 
um, on the menu, and you can go back in the archives and hear all the shows. And Jeff's show in May for Memorial Day was a special one. And uh, just thank you for being here. You're and welcome. So, Jim, we'd like to hear from you a little bit. You're a veteran. I am. Um, you are also a counselor and a life coach. Now, you met Jeff a while back. Yes, I was here uh, when uh, you had the broadcast with him earlier in May. I'm fascinated by this man. Uh, and uh, his, the thing is, Jeff and I have a lot in common um, because we both are collectors. We both are interested in history. Uh, he, Jeff, you have a, a number of uh, memorabilia-type items, collector's items, uh, from uh, men in, in different services fighting for different countries even in the Second World War. You have German implements. You have uh, Japanese. You have some American things. And you were sharing, showing us just today a, uh, a, a training device for teaching uh, that, that they use for teaching soldiers how to uh, communicate in Morse code. Yeah. So you you have you have a lot of really nice things that you've collected. Well, thank you. Those were. I mean, they're all really cool. Yeah. Now I know that's a very a very fun part of doing this for you is meeting all these wonderful people it with is, this wonderful background. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I've been doing them for a number of years now, uh, and they're still just as fascinating to me because. They're all unique. You know, when you get down to a personal level like this, um, you don't always get that in the history books. You know, some of the authors are really good at, at combining the, the little personal nitty-gritty with, with the overall scene of, of the campaign and so on. But, um, you know, when you sit 10 feet away from a person who survived the Pearl Harbor attack and he's talking about oil filling up in the room, and he looks up towards the ceiling because he can still see that vent where that oil was coming in from. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, that, you know, uh, there was an explosion on my right, and they'll turn their head to the right. I mean, it's just really real with them. And and there's been times when, you know, I'm sitting there with a 80-year-old man or an 85-year-old man, and he starts crying like an... 85-day-old baby. I mean, this stuff is so real to them still. You know, they were young. They were impressionable. Mm -hmm. Um, They were probably scared out of their minds, you know, but they still did their job. And and, uh, I've had many of them say the exact same thing, that uh, they had a million-dollar experience they wouldn't give a nickel to do again. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's really, uh, it's moving to just watch their reactions and and um, it's just gripping. It, it grabbed a hold of me anyway. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, when I when you think of living well, like why why am I having this for Veterans Day? Why do I care about Veterans Day? Well, you know, my dad was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. My great-grandfather was in the military. My husband was in the military. My nephew right now is a ranger in the Army. And um, there are people all around us, all through America, that were in the military. And we want to say thank you for them serving. They keep us safe every day so that we can sit here nicely in this beautiful home in Hot Springs, Arkansas, on the lake, without a worry in the world about what will happen to us. And we are very fortunate to have that. And so we want to thank the veterans out there. So we want you to know what Veterans Day is, because I think a lot of people um, confuse Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And so we wanted to give you a little history so that you understand about Veterans Day. You want to do that, Jeff? 
Well, briefly, uh, Memorial Day is when we honor those who did not come back home. In their memory, we have that day. And Veterans Day is a day of appreciation for all who have served, whether it's overseas or in the States. It doesn't matter what branch. Uh, if you honorably served and were discharged, you know, you're considered a veteran. And, and Veterans Day, always on the 11th of November, is a day where the nation, at least for an hour or two, takes a step back um, to remember them and, and thank them for, you know, they just went out and did their job, whatever it was. In times of war, you know, they didn't know if they'd ever be back. In World War II, you know, they have seen so many papers where it said, you know, they're, they're in until uh, the end of the war plus six months. Mm. And, you know, that's quite a commitment to walk, to walk away from your family or be, if you're drafted, taken away from your family at, at uh, you know, maybe the, the golden years of your life when you're healthy and happy and more interested in girls than going to war kind of a thing. Well, and you, you mentioned about drafting. I noticed when we changed our address this time, and they asked us um, if we were a male under the age of 21 or 26 or something. Probably 26. And it was to register for the draft. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen that in a really long time. And I was like, what? Are they bringing the draft back? Kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, I have girls, but I know when I, when I talk about the men who've served in the military, there have been women who've served in the military. And even in your book, there are women that you yeah. honor and they answered the call. Yeah. Yeah, there were, um, you know, a lot of the, the gals back in the day on the World War II days, you know, they they felt that calling too. And, you know, that's when like the Women's Army Service Corps came up and and the WASP pilots, the women who flew the planes from base to base and so on here in the States. And uh, some of them got into nursing and so on. And um, it was an amazing time. Um, I think World War II... Um, the home front is a time that we maybe briefly experienced after the September 11th attacks. There was a real wave of, of uh, patriotism through the country again, which in my opinion at least ha has waned. But during the time of World War II, I mean, everybody, I don't care if you were 10 years old or 80 years old, you made a contribution. Um, you know, kids couldn't get chewing gum. They stopped making cars. Um, there was just so many different uh, ways that people could be involved and share the sacrifice, which doesn't happen anymore. You know, I've heard it said that um, by uh, authors that currently um, we watch while they fight. And we don't really have much of a connection to the veteran now. Um, as you said, you know, we get to sit in this room, in this house, uh, overlooking a lake and so on, and, and uh, in essence, don't have a care in the world. And we are completely disconnected from today's soldier. I mean, you think about it, unless you have a loved one in the fight, how has the war on terror personally affected you in the last five to ten years? Right. And I'll bet you the answer is it hasn't. Well, and I think back then it was much easier to feel connected to it and, you know, for World War II. Yes, it and was. And everyone had to really pitch in to mm -hmm. supply and everything. So that was really different. When um, the interesting thing about Veterans Day is it is the reason it's on the 11th, it's always on 11 11. 
and they and eleven a.m. often is when they do the moment of silence or mm-hmm. whatever. And so eleven is a very important number. Now eleven eleven was what? November eleventh was the last day of World War One. And they used to call that Armistice Day. That's right. And then uh, who switched? The, eventually changed to, and that was celebrating the end of the war. Right. And then eventually it became Armistice Day to celebrate that. Then eventually Veterans Day to right. celebrate all veterans. Yes. Instead of just the ones that were in World War Two. That's right. Or is it World War One? Well, World War One. November eleventh was based on World War One. Right. Yes. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't know why it's on Wednesday. I think a lot of people think almost all our holidays are on Monday. Right. Yeah. um, Veterans Day, November 11th, if it falls on a Sunday or wherever it falls, that's the day it's celebrated. Yeah, so it moves. It moves. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was excited that it fell on a Wednesday because my show is always live on Wednesday. So that was really (laughs) exciting. So I was, oh, we can go interview Jeff Meek. Yes. So um, you were going to kind of uh, tell us to help us really get some insight in these stories that these men have that they experienced while they were at war, these veterans, or their stories in the military. Um, So you're going to share five stories with us? Yeah, I thought I'd I'd read you uh, segments of some different stories that's in my book, um, just to give you an example of... Now, you'll have to share more about this. This is such a wonderful one. Um, th- this first story is about Bill Reynolds, who was in the United States Navy aboard the USS Saratoga. And I'll, I'll just read an excerpt of this. The Saratoga provided support for invasions at Kwajalein and Inuitak. Then the ship joined Task Force 58 in January 1945 and headed for Iwo Jima to provide air support for the February 19th invasion. On February 21st, the carrier was in closer to Iwo Jima than normal, so their planes would not have as far to travel, and thus save gasoline, which was getting in short supply. Suddenly, the general quarters alarm was sounded, and Reynolds went to his station to help load the Quad 40 gun. The gun crew began firing at an incoming kamikaze. Although they managed to hit the plane, The enemy fighter kept coming and slammed into the ship just below his gun position. Quote, the next thing I knew, I was in the water. From that point, it was sheer survival, Reynolds said. Several men in the water were badly injured. Those that could provide help did so as much as possible. Reynolds received back injuries, which later resulted in him having to have eight vertebrae fused together. Reynolds talked about what it was like being in the water. His response was gripping. Quote, it was okay until it started getting dark, and then the sharks moved in on us. I don't know how many people the sharks got, but there were a number of them that went down screaming. They, the sharks, come and pass you to smell you, I guess. I was very, very fortunate, responded Reynolds. He spent time in a hospital and later rejoined the ship. Once he could walk, he was granted a leave back home. Reynolds said, I can tell you this. I did not discuss this with any of my folks when I got back home. It was just too close to me. I never told them anything about it. And many times uh, I've met veterans who told me their story for the first time. I don't know how many times, but there's been several times when my wife Jean and I have um, received letters or notes or emails from maybe a, a 
a brother, a grandson, a wife who said, you know, I, I never knew that about him. He never talked about that. And, you know, now Reynolds family, did they did you talk to them after you were done, Bill Reynolds family? Uh, I did not. But Bill's case is, um, I don't know, Bill and I just really clicked. Bill did not want to do this interview. I remember standing right next to this table back in 07, talking with him on the phone about doing his story. And I didn't know any of this about, you know, blown off the ship. I knew he was on the Saratoga and so on. And he did not want to do the story. And um, I'm never pushy about that. I think that's one reason I've had success in doing this. I'm, uh, I'm committed, I'm sincere, but I'm not pushy. And if you can just kind of tell from the conversation if they're thinking about it or it's leave me alone. And I could tell Bill was, you know, he said he didn't want to do it, but there was some uncertainty there and, I had mentioned that, you know, I have a column of these stories and um, perhaps you might want to consider reading a couple of them and I'll, I'll call you back and see if that's something you might be interested in participating in. And he said he did read them and yeah, go ahead and call. So a couple of weeks later, I called and his tone had completely changed. He was like, yes, let's do this. And um, I went over to his house and... Um, he told me, you know, the the experience that I just shared with you, along with a few other things that, that are in his uh, segment of the book. And he seemed so comfortable doing it, which kind of surprised me because he was so reluctant at first. And Bill went from being a guy who did not want to talk about this to the poster child for why you as a veteran should do this. Bill told me later that the interview helped him get rid of things he'd kept in the dark for a very long time. And I've heard that from, from other veterans and other veterans' um, family members. So would you suggest that family members of a veteran try to record their dad's stories or their family's stories of the, the ones that were in the military? Yeah, I... I'll put it this way. I give a lot of money for one about my dad, and he's gone, and so I'll never have that. Um, you know, that would be just, a, of course, this is an interest of mine, the war and the veterans and so on, but to me that would be a priceless piece. And you heard my mom say at lunch today that she wished she had her dad's story. Yeah. It's just something I think that, uh, and sometimes I use this in the pitch to try to get them to uh, to an interview when they're not wild about doing so, I tell them, you know, this will be something that, um, you know, your family will have forever. And it's preserved in Washington, D.C. at our Library of Congress. And um, and you give the families a copy. I do. They get a, a copy free of charge, um, thanks to the DAR who pitches in and helps with the costs of all this. Um, yeah, they, they get a copy. And, and interestingly, sometimes uh, I'll get a call from a, from a veteran who will say, can you make me six more copies? Because mm. when somebody hears it, everybody in the family wants right. it. Right. Sure. So that's that's rewarding that, that you know that um, it it got their interest as well. And I know you wish, Jim, that you had had your dad's. Yeah, I think about that sometimes. And fortunately, my, my younger brother, who uh, 
is a bit of a family historian has uh, gone back and found some of the information. But yeah, I've talked many times about how I wish I had had the foresight to sit down and interview my dad. He was in the Navy in World War II, and fortunately, one of the guys who came back and and uh, I was in the, I was an Air Force officer during Vietnam and. And uh, I felt uh, a special connection to him. And, and this is something I wanted to say as well. You know, I, I think anytime I meet a person, male or female, who's been in the military or is in the military, I feel a bond with them. I feel connected to them because of the military. And there's some kind of a, a brotherhood that is not, it's not easy to describe, but it's just there among military people, whether you were in combat or not, or a support team or whatever, it doesn't matter. And, um, that's a very important thing. And so Veterans Day is important to me, and I'm proud that I have served in the military, and I'm a, I'm a proud man on Veterans Day. So it is important for us to recognize um, people who've been in the military when we meet them. What do you think one of the best things that people can say when they meet someone who either is or has been in the military, Jeff? Well, I think um, because of their humbleness, and, you know, they do feel like, you know, this is the job I've chosen, um, I think it's probably best to be brief and not make a spectacle of it. I, I, another thing that I like is um, maybe when you see one in a restaurant, you get hold of their waiter and you pay for their meal. I had uh, the pleasure of doing that um, up in Branson, Missouri, but a little over a year ago, we were sitting there at a restaurant prior to going to a show, and I looked over to the to my right, and sitting in another booth just off to my right ahead of me were all these guys with these patches on, and I could tell it was the Screaming Eagles. It was the 101st Airborne Division. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I'm talking with my wife and looking over there, and this one guy kind of moved, and I saw 506 PIR, 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment, and I'm like... Oh my goodness, that's the Band of Brothers. That's what the HBO series is about. And I look at him and, yeah, he's old enough. Could this be one of them? And they could tell, apparently, that I was looking over there quite frequently. And one of them got up and came over to me and said, yeah, it's him. So I went over and we talked and we took pictures. And they were all there for a 101st Airborne reunion which they invited me to the next night. Wow. Yeah. And um, No, wait. I, that wasn't short and subtle. That wasn't short. No, like, <laughs> it wasn't. But um, all that to say, I wanted to pay for his meal. But somebody else in the restaurant had already done that. Oh, wow. really? So okay. I paid for his, repaid for his dessert. <laughs> all right. That is a wonderful thing to do. So before yeah. we take a break and come back so that, we can talk more with Jeff, and he's going to share more stories and um, things for us to do to really honor these veterans. Just remember, if you see a veteran at a restaurant, buy him a <laughs> meal or a dessert. That's right. Or a drink. <laughs> Take care. We'll be right back with Living Well. To all those who have ever served and to those who are still serving in our armed forces and to the families of the fallen, we say thank you.
Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to LifeSolutionsCoachingAndCounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutionsCC at Yahoo.com. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Living Well. I'm Ann Beal. And we are here in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, for our Veterans Day special, part two. This is um, Jeff Meek. He's the veteran historian, writer, and author of the book that answered the call. And he had just finished sharing a story about a U.S. Army man, Bob. What was his name? Bob Smith. Is Bob the Smith, one but we're U.S. Going Navy. U.S. Navy. U.S. Navy was Bill Reynolds. Bill Reynolds, Reynolds yes. yes. And um, about him being on the USS Saratoga mm-hmm. and when the sharks came um, and about that story yeah. and that interview. And um, we suggested, as Jeff said, if you're at a restaurant and you see a veteran, and they usually have their hats on or their shirts on or their jackets on that had the name of their division or their battalion or their infantry. Sometimes. Something like that. So if you see one, buy them a meal. Find their waitress and buy them a meal. Their waiter. (laughs) What would you suggest, Jim? Well, I mean, that's, a, that's something that's wonderful to do, and any vet would be appreciative of, of, of recognition and, and honor like that. If that's not possible and you know someone's a vet, simply walking up and saying, you know, I, I see that you're a veteran or I, I heard that you're a veteran, I just want you to know how much I appreciate what you've done for me personally through your service and our country. Just appreciate that. It's just a word of appreciation can be a really, really big thing, you know. And I think that does mean a lot to them because every time I do that, you know, they really look you in the eye, and when they say "thank you, sir," you can tell they mean it. Mm-hmm. That they're they're grateful. I, I think, in a sentence, um, when it comes to you know getting to know these veterans and and doing all their stories, to sum it up in a sentence, what I learned was that they are as appreciative of my interest in them as I am in their story. Mm. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that for my stepdad, when somebody has done that to him, he has mentioned it later, that it felt very good to hear that. And I think that for us, we want today to celebrate that with all the veterans and their families, Mm -hmm. just to let them know how much we appreciate their service and how much we appreciate their families, you know, that they let this person go and to protect us, and that family sacrifices having them around. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a very important part that we need to remember those families too. You know, there were 409,000, I think, killed in World War II. And you think of that's 409 extend, 409,000 extended families. I mean, that, that goes well beyond a million people uh, affected by that, that, you know, they... They gave a loved one for that. I mean, what greater sacrifice is there? I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like if 
one day somebody walked up to my front door when my son was in the Marine mm-hmm. Corps and said, sorry, but your son was killed. I, I, you know, I, that's a really tough one. Well, they say it's the hardest tragedy to deal with, losing a child. Yep. And it's a very brave family that's willing to let their loved ones go away. Because I think that would be very hard, hard for me with my child. And my aunt, her son um, and um, grandson uh, is in the Rangers right now. And he is in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw his numbers of his battalion today. And I was trying to figure it out because I think it said <laughs> 101 BTC. And I was like, what is BTC? And it was AA. So I knew that was, you know, the something airborne. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to translate all the numbers. <laughs> they were sure a lot. I couldn't believe how many to just define his one group. Yeah, and, and, there's, so, and there's so many abbreviations in the military, as right, you know, Jim. Right. You get someone's discharge paper, you know, which genealogists and people love to get, and you get it, and it's like, okay, what does any of this mean? Because there's so many abbreviations. Um, but, uh, you know, pictures is another way to, to learn a lot about your veteran because as I, you know, I didn't know in the beginning either, but as I come to to be more educated about it, um a veteran's uniform is like wearing a resume. You know, every button, every patch, every ribbon, everything on a ribbon, it all means something. And uh, my father's records were destroyed in the fire in St. Louis at the National Personnel Records Center in the um, mid or early 1970s. So I got nothing, not a thing. Wow. Um, the only, back in those days at least, uh, many of the men would also file their discharge paper at their county seat. And luckily, my father did that. So I at least ended up with a discharge paper, which doesn't tell you a whole lot anyway. And it took a number of years, and I'm not saying that I worked on this, you know, every week for seven years, but over a period of seven years, I figured out what my dad did. And that all started with a picture Hmm. because you could see an emblem on a hat. Oh, and you could trace all that. Yes, and and when you know what those emblems mean, like his happened to be the 350th Infantry Regiment, then you can find out what division that was in, and then you look and see what the divisional history is. My dad's case was much more difficult because he uh, was not overseas until the war was completely over, so he became part of the Army of Occupation in Italy. And, you know, we could fill this room with books about the war, but trying to find a book about occupation is very difficult. And I just happened to stumble on one that was written, believe it or not, specifically for his regiment at the time he was in it and where he was. Mm -hmm. And it was very expensive, but I bought it anyway. Excuse me. And so I read through that and I, you know, well, I guess this is what my dad did. You know, I didn't have any official records. And then one day I I came home from work here and I had this big fat envelope waiting for me and it was from a friend of my dad's. They had served together uh, in the beginning until they went their separate ways um, in Italy and then they just kept in loose touch throughout the decades thereafter. Well, this gentleman who lived in uh, Wisconsin and I'd call him once a year with a pad of paper and a pen just write down anything he said and and I'd compare it to last year and see if he told me anything he didn't tell me the year before. Anyway, he sent me four letters that my dad sent him while they were in service. And my dad dated them and put the, the uh, name of the town that he was in. And all that 
talk in those letters perfectly matched that book. So that was, for me, the confirmation. By golly, that is what my dad did. Mm -hmm. And he was in the 88th Division because dad talked about, boy, it sure is nice wearing these scars rather than ties. And the 88th uh, Infantry Division was known as the Blue Devils, and the Blue Devils wore blue scarves. So there was the confirmation. Well, and that's encouraging to people, even like my mom, who said, I wish I knew more about my dad. But if she has pictures and she has any information, like she has his passport with everywhere he's been, mm-hmm. um, all those kinds of things, that, that she could actually, based on that, go back and yeah. find stuff the way you did. Yeah, pictures can be a big help, especially if they're in a uniform or in a vehicle, hmm. because uh, unit information will be on that front bumper. That is neat. Yeah, didn't know that. Yep. So that's, um, like I said, I had nothing. Except well, some pictures. And the picture led from A to B to C to D, and I figured it out. <laughs> so if you think about, because you talked about how many veterans are out there in the U.S., um, how many people then are out there? If all those veterans, when they all know how to shoot a gun, and they all have guns probably. Some, yeah, some do. Well, I, I say that. And yet we do know people that were in the military that don't don't have guns and didn't shoot guns much. Because not yeah. everyone has a position in the military where they used guns. Yeah, you know, they, they, they get some weapons training early on, especially if you're in the uh, Army or the Marine Corps. Um, but one thing that, that I impress upon the, the veterans when I talk with them and hear this reluctance to talk with me because, oh, I didn't do anything special. You know, I, I was never in combat. Well, most of you were not. Most were You know, only right. one and I think eight maybe nine, was in combat, even in World War II. Hmm. So, sir, you shouldn't feel like your story isn't worthy just because you weren't in combat, because not that many were in relationship to the millions that served. Mm -hmm. Not many actually were in combat. And the rest of you did everything that you were told to do and supposed to do in, in support of those who were in combat. So your story is just as important as theirs. It's just different. And that's why I want it, because it's unique, and I haven't heard it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the strategizing behind the scenes yeah. was very important. People who strategized, they weren't actually, you know, in a battle, but yeah. they were the ones who strategized or yeah. sent the codes, a lot of really cool stuff. Because my dad was in the Army, and he's talked about some of the spy stuff that he did, um, and that, uh, you know, just early on when he had to, you know, report even about his group or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they, he got to be the bad guy in the group. I mean, just hearing that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. if I could have his story, that would be <clears throat> wonderful. Now, you were going to tell us a story about Bob Smith. Yes, Bob Smith was in the United States Army, 37th Infantry Division, and he was in a recon outfit. That means they went out and did reconnaissance. And again, I'll just read a, a portion of Bob's story. By the way, Bob is... Of the 301 inter- interviews I've done, he is the only Silver Star winner, a recipient. I should. Now, what say, is a winner. Silver Star? Um, that's above a Bronze Star. That's for extreme bravery, bravery and gallantry yeah. and, and so yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, um, it's not the Medal of Honor, but it's getting way up there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, from Mr. Bob Smith, 37th Infantry Division, at New Guinea, his recon patrol was sent out to find the enemy. Smith said the patrols were scary, and it was kill or be killed. Heavy rains turned the terrain into mud. Smith said it rained every day, and the men stayed wet all night. As if that wasn't bad enough, 
Land crabs by the thousands crawled among them. Many, including Smith, got jungle rot and had to have their boots cut off and their feet soaked in a purple solution. The Japanese would manage to infiltrate the U.S. lines almost every night. Barbed wire and rope with cans attached were set up to tip off any enemy advance. Smith said wild pigs would also rattle the cans, and many were shot being mistaken for Japanese troops. Two men would pair up in a foxhole, one on watch, the other asleep, as scorpions and other bugs crawled over them. Smith eventually ended up in the hospital and received a visit from Eleanor Roosevelt. She stopped by his cot, spoke with him, then gave him an orange and a kiss on the cheek. After the island was secured, the 37th moved to Guadalcanal for additional training. From Guadalcanal, Smith went in on the invasion of Bougainville as the Navy shells passed overhead and U.S. planes bombed and strafed the island. Bougainville's jungle was even thicker than Guadalcanal. Quote, you could see maybe 20 yards, and that's why I used a sawed-off shotgun and a Thompson submachine gun, said this decorated warrior. Smith took recon patrols out seeking enemy positions and movements. One patrol involved locating a Japanese patrol working along a river. He was informed that the enemy was approaching, spread out his men, and lie in wait. He wanted to capture the Japanese to get information. However, as one of the Japanese was relieving himself, he spotted one of Smith's men. Quote, we got them all except one, end quote, said Smith of the firefight that erupted. After completing patrols, Smith and his men would return to a camp. One time the camp was almost overrun by a large Japanese attack, which was repulsed. Following the battle, he was told to reconnoiter the area. The dead lie all around, and the smell was quite evident. Smith said, quote, You could tell the difference between the dead Japanese and a dead American by the smell. I think it was their diet. Body parts were everywhere, and as Smith walked through the area, his feet would tangle in them. Quote, It took me about 15 years to wash that memory out of my thoughts and dreams. The odor lingered on for years. Wow. Yeah. That's an unbelievable so when story. The, so when he's telling you a story like that and you are listening, you must have some skills to bring this stuff out of these men. And that's the only thing, like, I've thought about, you know, maybe we're going to see my dad over the Christmas holiday. And I thought maybe we should try to record his story. Now, his story doesn't have a lot of trauma to it. But this man's does, Bob Smith. So when yeah. you're... Does this just come out? They just tell their story and you listen and record it? Or do you have? are you engaging them in conversation during this time? Um, before I turn the camera on, we chat a little bit. And just to try to set them at ease. Because, you know, you've got a camera stuck in your face. You know, just in my home here, a little on like a TV camera or something. You know, there's you get a little nervous about it. You know, we just, how will you come off and so on. So we talk a little bit and try to put the guy at ease. And one of the things that I will say is I want you to remember that I want you to talk about what you're comfortable talking about. If something's really rough and you don't want to go there, I don't expect you to go there. If things get tough and you want to take a break, we'll take a break. Talk about what you want to talk about. And my questioning is um, not at all pushy. I usually have a sense of um, how open this person is going to be just by, you know, at least one or two conversations on the phone. And then, you know, like I say, we talk a little bit before the camera goes on. And um, I would say that, you know, there are, there are some veterans who will tell me right up front, 
you know, I was uh, almost captured by the Germans in the Battle of the Bulge, and it got real ugly, and I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. That's fine. And some will tell you the most gory details, uh, and I don't prod them to do that at all. I will never forget a Vietnam veteran who was a tunnel rat, you know, one of the smaller guys that had to go down in the, in the tunnels. Mm. And he talked about um, the, the U.S. attack, <clears throat> excuse me, to drive them out. And then the going down in the tunnel and, you know, hair splattered all over the cave and so much blood that the, the, the tunnel smelled like copper. And I mean, he just... Went on in detail. Yeah, wow. and, and I didn't ask any of that. I knew he was a tunnel rat, and obviously, thus, he'd been in tunnels, but it, he just talked about it. And um, I, don't, um, I don't get pushy about trying to force them to tell me anything because then they're uncomfortable, and I don't, I don't want them to be uncomfortable. I'm trying to do this, you know, just to, to preserve history and get something for their family and and, um, you know, I, I, I was once around a World War II veteran. We were, there were several people invited to celebrate his 99th birthday, mm. combat veteran, World War II, twice wounded. And there were other people there, and, and we just got to talking about his war experience. And one of these guys, you know, my age, middle 60s, said, so, Jim, how's it feel to kill somebody? And I almost fell out of my chair. I thought, are you serious? Oh, gosh. You know, you don't ask that kind of thing. You know, that's something a 12-year-old would ask. Yeah, he needs some training yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very. I was, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I, I, was, I was embarrassed. It wasn't about me. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's my approach. They know I care. Uh, they know I'm committed. They know I'm, I'm sincere and they talk amongst themselves, too, people who are interviewed. And, and, you know, if you ever interviewed with Jeff or somebody will call and say, hey, Meek called me about doing an interview. Do you think I should do it? And I think that reputation is out there that, yeah, do it. You know, he's, you know, he's okay with whatever you tell him. You know, I don't know what they say, but um, I do know that I've heard from enough of them that they do talk amongst each other. So how would people reach you if they would like to be recorded? Um, or if family members want to try to get their loved one to be recorded. Well, um, usually it's by a phone call or an email that okay. I'll get. Um, many times, it's not from a relative. It's from a neighbor. A neighbor. Or someone that they go to church with. And, you know, I've done the column long enough now that they know about it. And, you know, my name's in the phone book. And um, somebody will call and say, hey, you know, Jeff, um, I just want to let you know my my neighbor... Jim Slaughter, you know, he was in the Battle of the Bulge, you know, and I really think you should interview him. And, and uh, well, have you talked? And I'll say, have you talked to him about interviewing? And he said, yeah, he said he'd think about it. Give him a call. So then I do. So that's how I get a, most of the leads. I got him at first. When I first started doing this, you know, nobody knew me, and I didn't know anybody when I first moved here. We have a very nice veterans memorial with a lot of uh, recognition paver bricks. Mm-hmm. And I would go over there with a phone book, and I'd look at names on the bricks and see if those names were in the phone book and call. And um, <clears throat> it was, um, wasn't real easy for me. I've never been a salesman type, but, um, you know, because they didn't know who I was. Right. So it started there, and just in a, seriously, in a matter of three or four months, 
the phone started ringing at the newspaper office and here at home, and I have had a list for seven and a half years and still have one in the office today. That's because you are the editor, <coughs> managing editor of the Hot Springs Village Voice. Yeah. And you write about these veterans in the mm. paper once a month. How often? Well, it started uh, when I was an unpaid columnist. It started at once a month. And um, now it's whenever I can get them turned in. That's usually at least two a month. Two a and, month. And we are a weekly newspaper. Yes. So that's so great that you have that to give people. So when you write about a veteran, you also give that to the family. Yeah, they get a copy of that disc. And um, many times, many, many times, we'll bump into the veteran somewhere down the road. And they'll say, um, boy, you know that story you wrote about me? I said, I must have 30 copies. Everybody at church brought me one. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's... um, that's what you know. We're, we're looking for on, on a Veterans Day and every other day in between for folks like myself that are so ingrained in all this is to show them that we care, mm-hmm. to show them that we remember. And I think, especially the World War II guys, you know, their war was a long time ago, and I think they're just impressed that somebody cares and that they're relevant to someone. You know what I mean? I think that's what everyone wants, right? Not yeah. to be forgotten and to be yeah. relevant. Yeah. And I think anything that we can do to show them that, especially if it's your family member or loved one, um, but at your kid's school or library or anywhere. And so that's why I believe Veterans Day is here for us to remember all of them. Yeah, it is. Now, do you remember interviewing Bob Smith very well? The The one I just read? Yes. Yeah, I do. So does he live in the village here? Yes, he does. He's still here. <laughs> He's a real character. Um lovable guy. Last time I saw him was at the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II um, over in Little Rock. The state put on a program and he was there. And uh, he was another guy who didn't want to do it up front, you know. And I go to a lot of veteran-related things, so I'd see him here and there. And maybe every other time I'd see him, I'd, you know, hey, you know, you still got that invitation. I'm still thinking about it, you know. And I think that went on for at least a couple years. See, I was wondering how long it takes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and... uh, and then finally he decided to do it. And um, Now, how about Bill Reynolds? Bill Reynolds was the same. Didn't want to do it. Was not at all interested in doing it and came around. How long did it take him? Three weeks. Three weeks. Mm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Three weeks. Yeah. And they've gone on and had these wonderful families and kids and, yeah. and new careers. And mm-hmm. so it's really wonderful. And so, I, and I um, include that in the, in the column. Too, you know what they when they were discharged and what they did with their life as a civilian, and then I will usually conclude by asking, when you look back on your service, how did that affect you for the rest of your life? And many times, you know, they learned a skill mm-hmm. that um, you know, like a radar operator who's in my column this week, um, went to work, spent a whole lifetime with the FAA, and he got that from the Marine Corps, right? Um, and um, I think uh, almost to a man, maybe 100%, they're really proud of that service. They think that uh, military service should be mandatory right. for our youngsters today, many of whom have absolutely no direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean military service, but service to your country, even if it's mowing the grass at Arlington National Cemetery or Abraham Lincoln Cemetery in Illinois, from where I'm from, you know, just making a contribution to your country, even if it's just for a year, 
mm-hmm. and many of them feel that that's that's important, and b- would better engage America in in our military. <coughs> I would think that that would all of this would change how you feel about your son when he was in the military. Is he still in the military? No, he served four years as a nuclear biological chemical warfare specialist. Nuclear biologist chemical warfare specialist. Okay. And uh, served his four years and got out and is in the world of computers now with a company in uh, California. But uh, I can still remember at 4 a.m. and Got it here in the book. How about your son? September 16th, 1996, 4 a.m. I can still see him walking down the sidewalk with that Marine Corps recruiter into the night with nothing in his hands, a new pair of tennis shoes, and a $20 bill in his pocket. Is that all he left with? Yeah. Whoa. That's all they were allowed to leave with. Really? As I remember. Because they have all the clothes and everything there. Yeah, yeah. And it's also that... I think I think I'm not saying I'm right on this, but I think that's part of the the breaking you down and building you back up how they want you to be. Wouldn't you say, Jim? Yeah, I think so. And uh, there's a commonality there, or a common common bond there that that happens when you're in with guys in basic training as well. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. You have no idea what they're going to do to you. <laughs> And and everybody's scared, and, uh, and but but you come together in an organized, strong band. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I think you know, um, I was an athlete in school and played you know, on many teams. You know, and you get a bonding as a teammate, but that's nothing like the bonding I think of those of you in the military, especially those who guys of the guys who were together in combat. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a stronger bond anywhere. Yeah, probably not. Probably so not. let's end with that. That is. So true to know that the way that you bond the most is when you're in the most danger or if you're all working together for a common goal. I think so. I think that's part of um, of the experience. You know, I, I don't think anyone knows how they would react under combat. But I think one thing that everybody would take into consideration is they don't want to let their buddy down. Don't right. let your buddy down. So we just want to say thank you, Jeff. For being on and filling us in about Veterans Day and sharing those wonderful stories and your experiences with these incredible people. And You're thank welcome. you, Dr. Slaughter. My pleasure. Thanks for, for being on me, and sharing with us as well for this Veterans Day. And we just want to remind you to recognize any veterans out there, buy them a meal, buy them dessert, buy them a drink, Say or thanks. just shake their hand, yeah. tell them thank you, or smile at them. Yeah. And you guys have a wonderful Veterans Day, and we'll see you back here next week when we interview the Beam family with Kevin, Christy, and Annabelle about her healing after she fell down a 30-foot drop inside 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 of a tree <laughs> with uh, and was healed from everything. Nothing happened to her. So we just wanted to, uh, it's called from the book Miracles from Heaven. So we'll see you here next week. And you guys live well. Take care. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. We'll be right back.